showcasing beloved favorites and forgotten gems, this is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network.
From Ramsgate in Kent, England, it's a very warm welcome once again to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network's Archived Show. I'm your host, Jason Drury, thanking you very much again for lending your ears to our humble little show. A big hello to our listeners at cinematicsound.net and through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, TuneIn, Google Play, Podbeam, Radio Public, and wherever you get great podcasts. Who makes these names up? It's great to have you join us for this show. If you are listening to this programme through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, iPhone, whatever, please take the time to rate and review the show. It really helps get the archive show noticed and assists new listeners to find the programme. You're probably also aware now that we have now a newly opened merchandise store where you can buy a logo t-shirt for one of your favourite Cinematic Sound Radio Network programmes, including this one, as well as hundreds of other items, including some limited edition apparel. Check out the link on the show's webpage. I'm still waiting for the official archive tea bag, even better, the official archive teapot. This is a British produced show, you know. Yeah. Now, for new listeners to the show, and if you are one, welcome, and where have you been? The archive is dedicated to new releases and new recordings of older scores from film and television. During each two-part show, I will also mine the vast music archive with my very own cinematic sound radio shovel, which at the moment is due for an MOT, to unearth beloved favourites and forgotten gems. Now, this is part one of episode 24 of the archive if you are keeping count, and if you are, why? Later in the show, we'll have music from the classic 1980s sci-fi horror film, The Thing, with a score by the late, great Ennio Morricone. Our Best of British segment today features the veteran composer Christopher Gunning and his memorable score for the 1989 film, When the Whales Came. And we finish off part one of the show with Jerry Goldsmith's wonderful score for the 1978 film, The Great Train. Robbery. And we started part one with the cue A Royal Command from the 2019 film Downton Abbey, with original music composed by John Lunn and performed by the Chamber Orchestra of London, conducted by Alistair King. It is truly a wonderful piece of music which I have enjoyed playing on my computer recently, so I thought I would start the show with something from 2019, as last year these days seems like a decade ago. That's why I'm playing something from last year. It's my show. I do what I want. <laughs> now, nearly three decades ago, saw the show Seacrest DSV premiere on TV screens. The show originally starred Academy Award nominee Roy Snyder as Captain Nathan Bridger, designer and commander of the naval submarine Seacrest DSV 4600. In the third season... Michael Ironside replaced Snyder as the leader of the series and was cast as Captain Oliver Hudson. But probably nobody noticed as not many people were watching it at the time, particularly in the UK, as it was scheduled appallingly by ITV, particularly season two, which was non-existent. What happened to season two in the UK? Really? I would have loved to watch this show. Well, sorry. Sequest DSV was set in 2018 when a political organisation called the United Earth's Ocean... UEO, formed in response to the colonisation of the deep sea, keeping peace amongst the various 
inter-oceanic conflicts is the grand futuristic Sequest DSV. The series was created by Rocky S. O'Bannon and produced by Steven Spielberg. And I missed most of it because it was poorly... Oh, no, never mind. Now, recently released by Verez Saraband Records was a limited edition soundtrack of music from the series, composed and conducted by Emmy Award-winning John Debney. The two-CD album set was remastered from the original sources provided by Debney, with disc one featuring music from the show's pilot episode, while disc two featuring music from selected episodes from season one, curated by the composer. Now here is John Debney recalling how he came to score the series. Quote, Sequest holds a special place in my heart. It was an exciting time for me, working with Amblin and Steven Spielberg. I had done a wonderful Civil War pilot for Stephen called The Class of 61. Although the pilot didn't sell, Stephen liked what I had done and soon after invited me to work on the Sequest pilot. I'll never forget composing what was basically a teaser for the show. We recorded at the old Evergreen Studios in Burbank. The teaser turned out well and shortly after presenting it to NBC I got the call that the show was a go. Working on this show was a dream and frequently Stephen would send a note expressing his love for the score. Created by the amazing Rocky S. O'Bannon, Sequest was a show ahead of its time, speaking to the human condition and important environmental issues. Every week was a new adventure. I was so grateful for Stephen, Amblin and the wonderful directors and producers I met on the show." Unquote. From season two and three, Composers Don Davis and Ross Landau took over composing duties for the show. But Debney's music for season one set a high benchmark for them to follow. This is, in my opinion, what the music for Star Trek The Next Generation would have been at the time without the influence of Rick Berman. And if you're a Star Trek The Next Generation fan, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're a fan of John Debney's music, for the Orville, or Cutthroat Island, which ended my last archive show, and you've never heard the music for Sequest, you are now in for a treat. Here is music from To Be or Not To Be, the pilot episode from 1993 of the sci-fi adventure series Sequest DSV, with original score composed and conducted by John Debney.
That was music from To Be or Not To Be, the pilot episode from 1993 of the sci-fi adventure series Sequest DSV, with his new score composed and conducted by John Dipney. The original soundtrack recording is now available as a deluxe 2 CD set edition from Varez Saraband Records. This is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. On July the 6th, 2020, the theme music world lost a master of its craft. The Italian composer Ennio Morricone 
died after complications from a fall at the grand old age of 91. We on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network are at present working on tributes worthy of the maestro, which will appear on the station in the coming weeks. But on this edition of the archive, we are going to feature two recent releases of music by Ennio Morricone, one in each part of the show. Just before the composer's untimely death, there was a welcome reissue of his score for The Thing, the 1982 science fiction horror film directed by John Carpenter and written by Bill Lancaster. Based on the 1938 John W. Campbell Jr. novella, Who Goes There? It tells the story of a group of American researchers in Antarctica who encounter an eponymous thing, a parasitic extraterrestrial life form that assimilates and imitates other organisms. The group is overcome by paranoia and conflict as they learn that they can no longer trust each other and that any one of them could be the thing. The film starred Kurt Russell and also starred Wilfred Brimley, T.K. Carter, David Clennon, Keith David, Richard Desart and Donald Moffat. In his book, Ennio Morricone, in his own words, the composer talked about his meeting with director Carpenter and working on his score for the thing. Quote, it was a very curious happening. When he, John Carpenter, came to Rome, we watched the film together in the hotel where he was staying. As soon as the screening was over, he took the VHS with him and went away, leaving me alone in the room. Was it a sign of respect, modesty or what? After all, he insisted so much on us meeting. He had used my music for once upon a time in America at his wedding. I went back home. With the notes I had taken, I composed several different opinions, covering as many different genres as possible. Dissonant, consonant, and in some cases the idea of multiple scores. I devised two versions of quite a long piece. In Rome, I prepared a version for synthesizers only, while in Los Angeles I recorded an instrumental version of the same together with the other cues. The recordings went perfectly, all the tracks were ready and things were going smoothly, to the point that I received enthusiastic compliments at the end of the sessions. They were supposed to take care of the mix, so I left for Rome happy and satisfied. I waited for the film's premiere. I was curious to assess the final outcome, only at that point with my enormous surprise that I realised the misdeed. There was no trace of the LA recordings. Carpenter had used the version with synthesizers throughout the film. I was astonished, if not upset. What could I do at that point? I had to live with it." Unquote. Ultimately, more than half of Morricone's score was not used in the film, with some parts replaced by electronic music newly composed by John Carpenter and Alan Harreth. However, Morricone's work, one of his most imaginative, claustrophobic and paranoid of his career, has developed a cult following. It is one of the scores most appreciated by the composer's fans and also fans of the films of John Carpenter. The original MCA album was conceived and constructed by Morricone himself with all his recorded material 
comprising ten sequences that feel more like evocative movements from an opera of fear and foreboding than a conventional soundtrack album. For this new reissue by Quartet Records, friend of the show Chris Malone preserved the content and order prepared by Morricone, and from the first generation album master tapes, fully restored and remastered the recordings to levels unheard of before. Now what we're going to play for you are two tracks, Humanity Number 1 and Humanity Number 2, one of three pieces on the album that were recorded in Rome entirely on synthesizers and features the now famous pulsing bass heartbeat which is heard several times in the film. In listening to the music, you'll get the idea of the score's foreboding and desolate soundscape. Here is Humanity Number 1 and Humanity Number 2 from the 1982 classic sci-fi horror film The Thing. Revisional score composed, orchestrated and conducted by Ennio Morricone.
That was Humanity Number 1 and Humanity Number 2 from the 1982 classic sci-fi horror film The Thing, with original score composed and conducted by Ennio Morricone. This excellent reissue of the original orchestral soundtrack recordings was released just before the composer's untimely death by Quartet Records. And there will be more music from the late great Italian composer in part two of this edition of the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. The home for beloved favourites and forgotten gems, this is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. And welcome back to this edition of the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Our best of British segment on today's show features one of the UK's finest composers of concert works and music for film and television, Christopher Gunning. Gunning was born in Cheltenham, Gloucestershire in August 1944. He studied at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, where his tutors included Edmund Rubra and Richard Wadney Bennett. Gunning has a passion for writing large-scale symphonic works, more intimate concert pieces and film and TV scores. In his concert music, he has developed an individual yet approachable, colourful and highly expressive language, which frequently gives his music a strong dramatic and emotional flavour. Gunning is best known, however, as the writer of the iconic signature theme for Agatha Christie's Poirot, and the evocative music for Oliver Dahan's La Vie en Rose. Often instantly recognisable, Gunning's film and TV music also includes Rose Me in Time, Goodbye Gemini, Wild Africa, Firelight, When the Wells Came, Karaoke and Cold Lazarus. With a career spanning over 40 years, he is a recipient of four BAFTA awards for La Vie en Rose, Poirot, Middlemarch and Porterhouse Blue and three Ivan Novello Awards for Rebecca, Under Suspicion and Firelight, and a Czech Lion for Levion Rose and Grace of Monaco. In recognition of Gunning's unique contribution to music, he was also awarded the BASCA Gold Badge Award in October 2011. Now the score we're going to feature, composed by Christopher Gunning, is without doubt one of his finest works, and in a way also one of his most personal. When the Wales Came, from 1989, directed by Clive Reese and starring Helen Mirren, Paul Schofield, David Suchet, Barbara Jeffert, David Felfro, John Hallam, Barbara Ewing and Jeremy Kemp. It was based on the 1985 children's book Why the Wales Came, written by Michael Mapurgo, probably best known for writing the novel War Horse. The film, like the book, is set on Briar, one of the Isles of Scilly. A pair of children befriend an eccentric old man who lives isolated on the far shore of their island home. But it turns out that the old man knows a terrible secret about the island and the narwhals who sometimes come. Meanwhile, World War I is making life hard in the village. In the now very rare release from Silver Screen Records from 1989, Christopher Gunning recalled the many coincidences 
but finally resulted in him scoring the film. Quote, in the spring of 1988, I took my family to Tresco, the second largest of the uninhabited Scilly Isles, a chain of tiny islands off the southwest coast of England. We have always wanted to go there, but booked as usual at the very last minute. I've always been drawn to the small islands, but the Scillies have a special kind of magic, which makes me feel I would have more than a passing acquaintance with them. Whilst there, I noticed through my binoculars that a film crew was at work on the neighbouring island of Briar, and I learned that a screen adaptation of Michael Mopurgo's When the Wells Came was being made. On my return home, I read about the film, which was set at the outbreak of World War I, and concerns the redemption of the island community by a small boy, a mysterious deaf hermit, and a whale beaching. Strangely, many years ago, I watched helplessly as a pod of sperm whales beached themselves on the Canary Islands, and the memory of those beautiful and mysterious giants dying in agony in front of my eyes still tortures me today. Further coincidences followed. The young boy who played David in the film is the son of a violinist I knew. The part of Will was played by David Suchet, and he was about to start filming in the title role of the Hercule Poirot series, for which I was composing the music. And the director was Clive Reese, for whom I had worked from time to time. I knew I wanted to compose the music for this film. To my amazement and delight, a day or two later, I discovered I was being considered as composer. I was invited to see a rough cut. Even at this early stage, I found the film profoundly moving. The beauty of the islands I had so recently experienced, the close-knit community, the slow pace and harshness of life on Bryho in the early 1900s, and the emotions stirred by the many threads of the story, told with complete naturalness by all the leading players, left by watching most of the film through tears. I found myself unable to talk when the lights went out. I got the job. But the most important single ingredient in the music is the song soprano voice, and here another coincidence occurred. The voice was intended to express the haunting and mysterious quality needed for the Birdman's theme, but I was unsure who would sing it. Everyone to whom I spoke recommended Kathleen Bott, and she turned out to be the sister of my mother's help. The final coincidence was when I needed to record the solo violin sections for the album. The original player was away, and someone led me to choose Marcia Crayford, who was not known for playing in this style. When she came along to the studio, it transpired that she had been on holiday on Bihar while the film was being shot. My reaction to the film was understandably emotional. I composed haunting music, which featured a solo soprano and periodically slowed down well song. And of course, all the time there was the sea." Unquote. When the Wells Came is essentially a sad fairy tale, and Gunning worked on getting the mystery of the story and the romance of it, and paints musically the incredibly beautiful surroundings in a rather wonderfully haunting way. Considering this score is now 31 years old, if there ever is a forgotten gem in British film music, this is surely it. For today's Best of British segment, I now present music from the 1989 film When the Wells Came, with original score composed and conducted by Christopher Gunning.
Others said that if they killed the whales, the island would be cursed, but no one would believe her. Then came the hunger and the disease. One by one, the families had to leave. Mother swore that she would never go, but then the well ran dry and we had to leave. It was the curse that drove us off Samson. And that was 70 years ago, and it's with us still.
That was music from the 1989 film When the Worlds Came, with a wonderful original score composed and conducted by Christopher Gunning. The original soundtrack recording was released by Silver Screen Records in 1989 and of course is now very, very difficult to find. This score, as you have now heard, is definitely crying out for a remastered reissue, even if possible, an extended reissue. This is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're enjoying what you've heard so far. Now, to end part one of this edition of The Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, we have music from the newly remastered edition of Jerry Goldsmith's beloved score for the 1978 Victorian adventure comedy caper, The Great Train Robbery, otherwise known as the first Great Train Robbery in the UK to distance itself from the £2 million sterling robbery from a mill train in 1963, which was known in the British press as The Great Train Robbery. The film was written and directed by Michael Crichton, who published his original novel in 1975, exploring the devious plot about the efforts of two master criminals and their beautiful accomplice to steal gold from the British government in a clever new way in 1855. Eyeing some gold transported by train for the first time in history, a man of high class and his key master associate devised a way to obtain the four keys necessary to open a safe on that moving train as to riches headed to the British troops fighting a distant war. The film starred as his charming and distinguished thieves, Sean Connery, Donald Pleasance and Leslie Anne Down. A strong crew assembled mostly in England included veteran composer Jerry Goldsmith, a friend of Crichton and a collaborator on many of the director's projects. The composer found scoring The Great Train Robbery a complete contrast to the sci-fi action and horror films he was most associated with, as it gave the composer an opportunity to score action in a more jolly and mischievous way. The score was recorded in the UK, powerfully performed by the National Philharmonic Orchestra and recorded with great precision and detail by the legendary Eric Tomlinson at Anvil Studios in London. The score is basically monothematic, with one theme which receives boisterous full ensemble treatment in the opening and closing title cues, informing the remainder of the score with almost perpetual development in either the progression or its underlying rhythm, allowing the primary idea to effortlessly carry the likeable story through its delightful twists. Goldsmith's consistent grinding rhythm works equally well in creating a feeling of mirth or, in some cases, infusing a sense of deadly menace. The composer would later score One Away in 1984 for Michael Crichton, as well as Congo and the 13th Warrior, derived from novels by Crichton. But The Great Trend Robbery has always had a place in the heart of fans of Jerry Goldsmith for its jolly quirkiness and its memorably strong main title. And so, to end part one of this edition of the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, here is music from the 1978 period comedy caper, The Great Train Robbery, 
with original score composed and conducted by Jerry Goldsmith and performed by the National Philharmonic Orchestra. The new remastered reissue of the original soundtrack recording has been recently released by our good friends at Quartet Records. I do hope you have enjoyed what you've heard so far on this edition of the Archive. Part 2 of the show will be with you very, very soon. But until then, from me, Jason Drury, as always, is take care and happy listening.
Thank you for listening to the archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I would like to thank Tim Burden for providing his voice on the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the program, Derek Cosina for providing the archive's intro music, and Eric Woods for letting me loose on his station. If you have any comments, questions and concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sin Sound Radio on Twitter and Cinematic Sound on Facebook. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment right now to rate the show. I want a brief review. Reviews help present potential new listeners to the show. And while you're at it, head over to T Public to get an archived t-shirt. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net.